What is going on? Hello and welcome to the Kelly to Q's podcast, Up in the Rafters, your home for everything college basketball from California to Syracuse. We got you covered. I'm your host, Anthony Scott, joined alongside with me, as always, Andrew Poppy Carey and Lucas Silverman. This week on the pod, we're going to be talking about some conferences that we haven't really touched yet, some SEC, Big East talk, as well as who's the best in college basketball, as well as our weekly SU talk. Speaking of SU, let's welcome in the man from Syracuse, Poppy. How we doing? We're living, living, getting ready to go back to Jersey. So I will, you'll be the resident Syracuse expert, A. Scott, but that's all right. We adapt, we morph, we change, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, what great, that's what great coaches, great bo- podcasters do, something Jim Beheim maybe needs to do more of, that adapting. But the Utah Jazz, though, got speak to speak on them real quick. They're moving up the uh, Western Conference standings. The Jazz, I'm a huge Jazz fan. Yeah, they're playing very well. Shooting threes like the Warriors used to. They're just, you know, they're a three-point shooting team now strictly. Gobert doesn't get the ball. Favors doesn't really get the ball, but it's working out for him. I just want – the only thing I want is Jordan Clarkson to get his recognition. Win six-man of the year. He deserves it this year. It's a little bit weak of a six-man class so far. I mean, we're so far into this – or we're so early into mm-hmm. the season still, but I love Jordan Clarkson off the bench. What about Elijah Hughes? Can we get my man some minutes? No, he's stuck behind too many people. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but. Then on the West Coast, Lucas Silverman, you actually bet the NBA the other night on our Twitter account at Kelly Tacuse and hit um, a rare win in the NBA. This is, we're nice at college basketball betting, but the NBA betting has been shaky. The Warriors, though, they've been hot. You said, don't let Steph get hot. And ever since that 60-point game, they've been rolling. Exactly. Being 9-6 and six with the third hardest schedule so far, uh, they're really on a roll right now. Andrew Wiggins is fitting seamlessly in. He's a walking 15 to 20 points a night. Kelly Oubre, after that two for 36 three-point shooting start, he's been he's brought his numbers up to 25%, which is a lot considering the fact that how low he was. Uh, big game tonight against the Knicks. Uh, that Spurs game yesterday was easy. We all saw that. They were wearing the Oakland uniforms. They doing it for Kamala Harris, that whole inauguration thing. And now they're playing a really good Knicks team as well that's had the hardest schedule up to this point. But I got to take my boys on a back-to-back. They got some rest in the fourth quarter, and I think they'll be ready to go. Yeah, I was looking forward to that Spurs-Warriors game. I was a little nervous about your pick, but Keldon Johnson let me down for the Spurs. He had a terrible easy. game. It was easy, I'm telling you. <laughs> my team, the Nuggets, I mean, they're, they're starting to get along. We're 7-7 seven and seven now. Jokic for MVP, though. Can we get everybody on the train? I'm for it. Him, him or KD at this point. It's either him, KD, or Steph. Oh, God. Steph's always getting thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the Cali TQ's podcast up in the rafters. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere we get your podcast. You can also see us on the Challenge Sports. That's the challenge-sports.com. We moved over there at the start of the new year, a little bit before then. They got great articles over there, some merchandise. Je- definitely want to check them out. That's the challenge-sports.com. There's another podcast over there as well, so definitely give them a look. Let's get into some college basketball talk before we get into the Syracuse Orange and their crazy week. The NCAA just announced a quick little tournament change. We're used to the NCAA tournament, those first big games starting, the first round of games starting on Thursday. That's now starting on Friday, so we're going to go Friday, Saturday for the first round, Sunday, Monday for the second round. A little more time till the Sweet 16. Sweet 16 doesn't get going till the weekend. Then we have Monday, Tuesday for the Elite Eight, so kind of shifting games back a little bit. I'm going to miss that opening Thursday, but I guess we get more weekend games, it sounds like, so it's not that terrible of a change. 
Yeah, I mean, this seems like it has to go this way, uh, just to have it as spaced out and leverage it as possible. You know, who knows what's going to happen when there's 64 schools in uh, <laughs> one seat. Uh, so I'm gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, America's favorite pastime is taking that Thursday off. Everybody takes that Thursday off. Everybody oh. knows they take that Thursday off and what you're doing. Uh, so I'm going to miss, you know, requesting off for that Thursday. It's going to be a little disappointing this year, but I'll get over it. Some weekend games, that'll be exciting. And, you know, just excited for March Madness. It's been too long. Yeah, Pop, I remember, I believe it was my senior year of high school. We played a little hooky. Watched the first round. I remember Ohio State. I think it might have been Aaron Craft days, maybe the end of the Aaron Craft era. Um, they lost in the first round. It was great to see. First upset of the year. We were there to see it. Um, but this year, the tournament really doesn't get going till Friday. And one of the teams that looks like they're going to be on the bubble, no surprise, as always, the Syracuse Orange looking like another bubble team this year. But they had a wild week. They definitely did. Before I tell your teachers that you guys all played hooky at Liverpool, uh, I'm <laughs> – we're just first talking about your Syracuse Orange. Uh, losing embarrassingly earlier in the week, 96-76 to 76 at Pittsburgh, but followed up with an impressive throttling of Miami at home, 83-57. to 57. Uh, Before we go into what this looks holistically for them, let's break down each game one at a time, starting with that Pittsburgh game. Now 0-2 against Pitt, ACC team. Did Pitt just have their number this season, their best player, Champagne, Champagne but I always pronounce it incorrectly, so <laughs> I don't care. Uh, he returned from injury and looked great, but Syracuse shooting three of 23 from three. Uh, what'd you guys see in that Pitt game pop? You know, did Pitt just have their number this year? I'm not sure that they had their number. Uh, they, they might have a better team than Syracuse. The first game that Syracuse lost to Pitt in the Dome was inexcusable. There's no way around that. They were up by 18 in the first half, and then I believe it was 16 in the second half and lost both the leads, um, only to build up that second 16-point lead after losing the 18-point lead. It was just nonsense going on out there. Uh, but the second game, Justin Champagny returns. Duke with Champagny having a huge game. Uh, loses to Pittsburgh the other day. And now it's not looking like too bad of losses. Pitts, uh, I believe, in Q1 now in the net rating, which, you know, that's huge for the tournament and getting in. I don't know that they had their number, but I certainly think this is a Pittsburgh team that likes to get on the glass. And traditionally, Syracuse does not do well with those Pittsburgh teams. So, they, unfortunately, they go 0-2 against them when they could have at least gotten one quality win. Half glass empty type of mentality. Um, so, I mean, definitely losing by winning is some sort of net rating, Q1, whatever you want to call it. You yeah. got to win the games. But being 0 2, A Scott against Pittsburgh, uh, you know, they might dip down a little bit. They got a tough schedule ahead, but uh, 20 point loss. What, what do you make of it? Yeah, I really don't make much of it. Depends how Syracuse looks in the next game, just because I think Syracuse is going to look like. A completely different team, which we'll talk about, I assume, when we talk about the Miami game. But Pittsburgh, I just think it's a tough loss for Syracuse just because we've said the ACC is down. Obviously, Syracuse is going to have another chance at a Q1 win. But, I mean, we blew the first one. Looked like we had a chance in the second one. We got to another strong start against Pitt and just squandered it. I mean, it wasn't as big as the first time. But Pitt definitely controlled this one. And they're a good team. I mean, Jeff Capel's really turning around that program. This team's at the bottom of the ACC really for the last few years. And Jim Penny looks like a great player. And Poppy, you, you informed me the other day, and I was heartbroken when you said it, that uh, his dream school was Syracuse, and he's from the state of New York, and Jim Beheim didn't offer this kid a scholarship? 
Yeah, from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, dreamed of playing at Syracuse in the 2-3 zone when he was growing up was probably the heyday of our lifetimes of Syracuse basketball. And he probably loved watching those teams. I mean, if you watch him play, he looks like a prototypical Syracuse forward. You know, he's about 6'9", pretty bouncy, can shoot it a little bit, driver, slasher kind of guy. So it's a shame, you know, that's kind of what happened when Mike Hopkins uh, left the program. The recruiting took a dip, whether you want to blame Hopkins or the NCAA violations that preceded that. I guess that's up to you. But, yeah, definitely discouraging to see that being said after <laughs> after he just scored 26 points against you. Yeah, 24-16 and 16 for Champagne. And the one last thing that sticks out, of me, sticks out about this game to me is the Syracuse bench only put up two points. I mean – they only had two players really play off the bench. Braswell, eight minutes. Kadari Richmond, 18. But two points off the bench. That's why we need to get more guys involved. And we finally did against Miami, Lucas. Absolutely. Starting off with the bad, we got the Pittsburgh loss out of our systems. And now we can now just talk about the most impressive win, in my opinion, for Syracuse this season at home against Miami. Uh, throttled them. Really, Joe Girard caught fire. Kadari Richmond really stepped up. They were originally down – about 10 points, and then they just caught fire. Uh, with that being said, three out of their next four are, are at home. Hey, Scott, do you believe that Syracuse can take advantage of this home-friendly stretch? Yeah, they definitely need to. I'll tell you that. I mean, two and three in the conference, like you said, this is our best win in the season. Before this, it was maybe Buffalo or Boston College, maybe a nice mid-major win. But this is our first nice conference victory against a weekend Miami squad. They're still without Chris Likes, but they did get McGusty back um, in a limited sense, only 20 minutes from McGusty. Miami's probably second best player on their roster. But Syracuse, they look like a totally different team. And as long as Jim Beheim plays Kadari Richmond, finally Richmond got 20 minutes. The first seven minutes of that game, Syracuse just looked like they were going to ran out of the gym once more. Bring in Kadari Richmond, immediate run, creating steals, getting assists. And, yeah, Kadari Richmond only had seven points. But the big stat to look at is those eight assists. The offense looks like a legit offense, how you're supposed to build an offense. We can shoot the three Syracuse, but our three-point shooters, they necessarily can't create their own shot. So we need a Kadari Richmond in there to drive, kick, and it's just how, how it's supposed to look. And at 83 points, I mean, you can't ask for much more. Great win. I hope we see more of Kadari Richmond. Please give this man the start next game, Jim Bayon. I completely agree. Pop, three of their next four at home against Virginia Tech at home, NC State at home, and Louisville at home. They have an away game at UVA in between. Uh, coming up to blistering cold Syracuse, New York, must not be that fun for a school like Miami where comparatively it was 80 degrees. Does this seem like an advantage for Syracuse against these tougher teams? Maybe a little bit, especially coming up there. You got no fans to play in front of. Um, but I don't know. I think more of what hurt Miami was coming off of a big win at home against Louisville, a quick turnaround. Then you fly up to Syracuse, and basically you just get your ass handed to you. I mean, you start off the game up 11-2, to two, and from then on, Syracuse goes on a massive run and just takes control of the game. Uh, that being said, you know, Joe Girard, he, took, he caught fire a little bit. Uh, Buddy Beheim with a good game, and Joe Girard after the game opens up about him having COVID earlier in the season, uh, really affecting him, still experiencing fatigue and tiredness. All I want to say after hearing that is if he is still experiencing fatigue and getting tired, then why are we playing him as much as we're playing him? It doesn't make any sense what Jim Beheim does. Girard averaging 31 minutes a game. 
Uh, you know, we have a guy behind him, a true freshman, Kadari Richmond, who's very promising, comes in seven points, eight assists, five steals, affecting the game in numerous ways when Joe Girard can pretty much only affect the game in one way, and that is his shooting. Where he's going to excel best is off the ball uh, at a, in a shooting guard role. Personally, the lineup that I want to see that I've discussed with Anthony, I know, is Kadari Richmond. I want to see Alan Griffin at the two because he's only 6'5". He's an undersized forward as is. And then I want to see Garrier, Dolage, maybe Jesse Edwards, whoever. The, the last two don't matter. Obviously, you need Richmond. I want to see Griffin, and I want to see Garrier out there. And then plug and play whoever else you want. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think our best lineup um, honestly features – or doesn't feature the two guys getting the most minutes on this team in Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim. I think Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim are excellent shooters. Excellent scorers if they're put in the right position. They should not be ball-dominant players like Kadari Richmond do that. Kick to him. I mean, Kadari Richmond, he should realistically be getting 30, 30, 35 minutes a game. The time he's on the bench, that's when Joe Girard gets in the game and actually is handling the ball. Joe Girard can still play 20, 25 minutes, but a majority of that time should be at the two. And then also when Girard is the dominant ball handler, we need to just be feeding Quincy Garriott. Let him chop down low because, once again, he proved that he is dominant against pretty much anybody, even though he's a little undersized. Still puts up 18 points, eight boards against Miami. Eight for 10 from the field. He's so efficient down low, so calm and great footwork. He had a couple nice moves against Miami. So I think when Richmond's in the game, which should be the majority of the time, we're more of a drive kick team. When Gerard's leading it, we try and force it down low to Gary A. I mean, this team is capable of putting up 80 points against anybody. So I think that center position needs to be Edwards more than Dolage until Sadibe's back because we just need rebounding. Still holding out hope on Sadibe. I love that. <laughs> uh, like I said in the last podcast, you know, I could definitely see Buddy Bayheim or even Joe Gerard really become that Trevor Cooney type of player, that sniper, timely shooter, uh, solid defender, can get it done, but is definitely helped out by the length of the zone. Uh, last but not least for the Cuse, we're getting closer to the March day by day. But and as of right now, Joe Lenardi currently has Syracuse as the next four out team. Uh, something to look out for as games continue to get postponed and wins become more important. Uh, do you guys believe they're currently a uh, March Madness team or do you believe that they should be on the outside looking in? As of right now, I don't think that they are a March Madness quality team. That being said, this is the stretch right here where they can prove me wrong. Virginia Tech, Virginia, NC State, and Louisville. You got to win. In my opinion, I think you got to win three out of four. You do that, you're, you're very much looking at an NCAA tournament team. You know, you really boost the resume. It would mean wins over potentially two ranked teams if Louisville stays in. Uh, and that's just going to be very important for Syracuse to beat. Definitely two out of Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Louisville. Those are the two big games. NC State, in my opinion, is going to be a must-win. They've really not looked good recently. I will say, by, by the, uh, the transitive property, we can beat Louisville. I mean, Miami beat Louisville. We just beat Miami. So that should be no problem getting a Q1 win there. Um, no, but Virginia Tech, Virginia, yeah, th this is the key stretch. And honestly, I think Syracuse is a March Madness team. I think as long as we go with this new lineup more often – I mean, you can definitely still start Buddy Beheim speaking about our best lineup. Um, we just need more Kadari Richmond handling the ball. I think that's the key for this offense. That's the key for this team. When he, when he has the ball, he's drawing eyes left and right. Three guys are looking at him, concerned about the drive, and it just opens up so much for this team. I think Syracuse, I haven't said this in a long time, maybe not ever, but I think we're a top-tier offensive team. I, 
I really do think we are a top tier on the offensive side of the ball. Defense is where it gets shaky just because of the size. But if we're putting up 80 points a game, we should have no problem getting in the tournament. And uh, it just comes down to our, our coaching decisions here late down the stretch, making sure we put the right guys in right positions and squeaking out a couple of these close ones against bigger teams. All you need, I think, is two Q1 wins. You get three Q1 wins as long as you beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Should get you in. Couldn't agree more. Again, Syracuse, a couple ranked matchups coming up for them. As we look into what that top 25 is structured right now, top five, still no major changes at the top. We say this week in and week out, Gonzaga and Baylor, one and two. Uh, two teams that did drop out were two ACC teams in Louisville and Duke after a couple, couple tough losses for them. Uh, one surprise was seeing Tennessee go all the way up to number six, but then earlier this week getting absolutely throttled by Florida at Florida. Uh, a. Scott, throwing it to you first. Your current thoughts on what this uh, top 25 looks like currently. Is it going to be same old, same old for the rest of the, for the, rest of the season? Uh, yeah, I think the top two. I think that Baylor, Gonzaga, I mean, unless Baylor loses one in the Big 12, they could obviously fall out. But, yeah, I've been saying it all year. I stick with what I've been saying, that the top teams are the top teams this year. I don't think we're going to see much changes in the top 15, 10. Clemson's now falling out. I thought they were the real deal. I mean, they had a really tough week this week. We don't really need to mention that at all. But uh, they're definitely not a legit team. I think Florida State, though, they'll be back in this top 25. Look for them to make a run here down the stretch and maybe creep all the way up into the top 10 if they get hot. I still think Florida State could be the best team in the ACC. Yeah, I think Florida State is probably going to make uh, their voice heard pretty soon. They had a bad loss to Georgia Tech, but other than that, their resume is pretty solid. You know, I really think the top three is pretty solidified here. I really like Villanova a lot. Uh, they're just getting back off their COVID pause. Jay Wright had COVID. A couple players had it. Um, but they they came out and got a hard-fought win, two-point win over Seton Hall, uh, a Seton Hall team that's really pretty solid. And I just think that those top three teams, you know, we, we keep talking about them, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Villanova, throw them in there. Um, I don't really see them losing unless, like you said, maybe Baylor slips up here and there. I don't think Gonzaga is going to lose. And Nova, while they're in a better conference, uh, we're going to talk about the Big East in a little bit, but I, it's it's in a bad state right now. And before we move on, I just want to ask, do you guys see any frauds in this top 10? It seems like we're both on the same page that the top teams are the top teams. But if there were maybe a couple frauds, one for me, I'm just going to put Tennessee on there. They've had a couple questionable losses, especially the one this week, 75 to 49, got absolutely thrashed against Florida. The SEC, they might be, might be a little down this year. Um, any thoughts on frauds maybe in the top portion of this top 25? I think currently structured, I would probably say number 10, Wisconsin. I mean, they look good. They're just a hot, cold streak type of team. They don't really scream to me like they can put it all together consistently for a few games in a row. Yeah, I, I don't hate that Wisconsin pick. Their offense is really lacking. You know, they play good team defense, a veteran team. But uh, when it comes down to it, you got to score points in March. And I don't love Tennessee or the SEC in general, but they're certainly not going to be a top 10 team after this week. So we won't even have to worry about them. <laughs> exactly and just move, updating the undefeated teams on the season we're over halfway I'd say to the college basketball season really only uh February and March to go really February for the regular season but undefeated teams only six left obviously Baylor Gonzaga at the top of the top 25 then the other four undefeated teams are not in the top 25 couple mid-majors maybe to look out for come March we have Winthrop Drake 
Alabama A&M, who's only 3-0, so don't put any stock into them yet. But Siena, a New York school out in Albany, um, 6-0, and they're looking pretty good. New York, they got some pretty good mid-majors this year. Buffalo is always there. Colgate scoring a lot of points. Siena, Poppy. Syracuse might not even be, like, the second-best team in New York. Yeah, I mean, New York's a great basketball state. Siena, St. Bonaventure, a lot of really quality teams, uh, mid-majors that are good, and, you know, Syracuse is down, so what can you say? <laughs> Syracuse did beat um, Buffalo earlier in the season, took them to overtime, but we got that rank against Buffalo, little interstate 90 matchup. But um, moving over to the top of the top 25, the big dogs of college basketball, Baylor, number two in the country, still undefeated, and they had a big week this week. This was the week they were going to get tested. We said it last week, show me something, and they did. Baylor takes down Texas Tech on the road, top 15 school, 68 to 60. And then on Monday, they come back two days later, take down a top 10 school in Kansas, 77 to 69. Baylor was home for that one, was really in control from start to finish. And Jared Butler, their star freshman, 30 points against Kansas, really showed up. Uh, Baylor, is this what you needed to see? Yeah, it's what we needed to see out of the Baylor Bears, you know. They came out there, they did their job against two very good teams in the Big 12, and they proved why they're the class of the conference as of right now. Uh, I still think Texas Tech is a very dangerous team. Kansas, I'm not as high on as past years, but Baylor, what they really have is, you know, you mentioned Jared Butler, who's a very good player, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague. They have a lot of great guards, and we talk about it a lot, guard play, guard play, guard play. It's huge in March. It's huge for good teams. Um, and while, you know, they're maybe a little undersized down low, there's, they're putting up 87 points right now. So if they can play any defense and hang down low with teams, they're going to outscore a lot of them come March. What really impressed me the most about Baylor and their two wins was just their, their depth and their big men. Really crafty, like you mentioned, Jared Butler, 30.7 and 9 to 3. Um, he's a, he does play down low, or is he more of a stretch forward kind of guy? He's a forward, but he can definitely step out, hit that three. I mean, he, he kind of does it all. So he's looked very impressive. I mean, beating Kansas, you know, we always talk about how Kansas is the most consistent team in the Big 12 by a mile. Bill Stuff always has his guys ready. But this is just a different type of Kansas team that we're not really used to seeing them lose these type of big games. And for, you know, it's a confidence booster for a team like Baylor, uh, just going into the weekend with two really quality wins. Yeah, and Jared Butler actually only 6'3", so he is just a straight-up guard. But Why I, did I think he was a big man? I, I, I he seems to score in many different ways. I feel like he's got to be one of those crafty guards. <laughs> but Baylor's their, – their defense is what, what does it for me. They create a lot of turnovers, this Baylor team, and they get out and run. And if you don't have strong guard play on your side of the ball and you're maybe susceptible to the turnover, Baylor is just going to heighten that. They're going to turn you over left and right. I mean, against Texas Tech, well, they had 20 turnovers for Texas Tech. I mean, number 15 team in the country, and they have good guards. And Mac McClung uh, leading the charge there. He had 24 points, but five turnovers. I mean, Baylor's defense, this reminds me a lot of those Villanova teams with those great guards, great defense. And those Villanova teams, I mean, they won it all. They were there two out of three years. So Baylor, I think they're right up there with Gonzaga. They've obviously been tested a little bit more. They will be tested more in the Big 12. But I want to hear from you guys. Gonzaga, Baylor, is there another team, or is this a clear one number two? For me, it is. I think it definitely is the clear number two. But the thing is, four teams make the final four, and then it's really anybody's game at that point if a team gets on a hot streak. But I do think that these two teams 
are easily going to be the number one and number two overall seeds making it to the final four of the respective brackets. Uh, I, we got, we got uh, screwed over with no Jalen Suggs versus uh, Jared Butler. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that matchup. Like, we could have had that in the regular season, and now we have to wait until maybe the national championship if we even get lucky. Uh, these two teams are, you know, unstoppable. Gonzaga, a few more games under their belt. And then also, you know, the competition is just so bad compared to what Baylor plays night in and night out. It's going to be a fabulous matchup if it happens. And, you know, damn you, COVID, for not giving it us, give it, giving it to us a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, certainly disappointed that we didn't get to see that matchup. You know, they said they were going to try and reschedule it. But at this point, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so hopefully in March, we'll see it. But I mean, I mentioned it during the top 25 segment. I really like this Villanova team. If they stay healthy, they have great guards, uh, you know, led by a senior in uh, Colin Gillespie. You know, they got Jermaine Samuels, who's kind of the swing man, just traditional Villanova team. And then down low, in my opinion, they have the best big man out of those three uh, teams with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I just think that Villanova is very talented in general, a very complete team. Um, their defense is going to have to improve a little bit going forward, but you know, there's time for that to happen. Jay Wright's a great coach and he knows how to win in March. Yeah. It's going to be a fun final four. I cannot wait for that. I know we're a little ways away, but I think it's going to be a lot of the top dogs this year. Maybe not any Cinderella stories in the final four, but only time will tell this Baylor team though. When you look at them, it's hard to look at them and say, Hmm, who even stands a chance against them? Obviously, they still have to take on Texas. They have a back-to-back -back with West Virginia, which is going to be interesting to see how um, the teams change after their first meeting. But a lot of tougher games in the Big 12. I don't think Baylor will be undefeated, but honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. I really think this team is that good. Yeah, they have a chance. They have a, a decent chance, especially with West Virginia losing, you know, their big man, Shibwe. Mm-hmm. Moving over to the SEC, a conference that we don't talk about too much on Kelly to Cuse, but they are one of the power five conferences and usually led by Kentucky, but this year, not so much. John Calipari's squad is four and nine, four and nine, three and three in SEC play. They just lost to Auburn, who's kind of on a little bit of a hot streak, although they did just suffer a loss last night to Arkansas, but Kentucky uh, they're obviously towards the bottom, but then you still have some ranked teams in SEC. Number six, Tennessee. Number 18, Alabama. Number 19, Missouri. Bama's been on the hot streak. Are they the best team in this conference? They're the only undefeated left in SEC play at 7-0. I will say that 90% of our SEC talk in the first few episodes of us being back has been consistently thrashing Kentucky. So <laughs> that's my fault. I was a big fan of them. Thought, like, you know, they could just get it together but they had the toughest non-conference schedule. And then now they can't put, seem to put it together in conference play either. You know, it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And that was a bad take on my part. And <laughs> up my bad guys, but you're right. Uh, I watched that full Alabama against LSU game at LSU. LSU fans were rowdy. It was one of the most more rowdier home games that I've seen so far. They had some fans in there, obviously away, but uh, crazy atmosphere considering these circumstances. And then Alabama just, shut them up completely in the first four minutes they were up 21 to 2 I believe shooting seven of seven from three to start absolutely streaky shooters they have really good guard play Quinterly a Villanova transfer Pop loves his Villanova guys Quinterly uh, Villanova transfer is looking seamless fitting seamlessly into this Alabama offense and right now it's unstoppable and I think they got to be the best team in the SEC as of right now 
Poppy, your, your wallets, uh, they did you well taking Alabama the other day on one of your picks. Why do you love this team so much? They got a coach that you wanted Syracuse to hire. Yeah, I really wanted Nate Oates. You know, he was the coach at Buffalo, like we mentioned, right down Interstate 90 in Syracuse. Uh, led them to two straight NCAA appearances, Nate Oates did. And, you know, it was getting time where he was going to move on. He's a young guy. And I really wanted Syracuse to make the move. You know, Jim Beheim obviously um, has, has done his time at Syracuse, in my opinion. But, you know, he's going to go when he wants to go. That's fair, I guess. That's the way these things work. But it's, it's not working. Nate Oates has done a great job at Alabama, and that is working. Uh, John Petty, Javon Quinterly, Jaden Shackelford, all tremendous guards, and they can really shoot the three. Um, the SEC in general, in my opinion, is a very bad conference this year. There's not much going on. There's a lot of teams around 500, sub 500. Uh, you know, the South Carolina program, they were in the Final Four pretty recently, and they're sitting at three and four, obviously, with COVID issues there. But you know, it's just – it's a really interesting conference. There's not a lot of talent going on, and Florida just got a big win, but normally they're up there, and they're not very good this year either. So I'm just interested to hear your guys' takes on the SEC. Yeah, the SEC, I mean, the LSU game was chalked up to be a good one. LSU came into the game against Alabama, only one loss in the SEC. Alabama was only undefeated, and Alabama went in there, won by 30. Bama's last three games, they've all won by more than 20 points. Bama looks like they're kind of running away with this conference a little bit. We talked about the guard play. That's what wins in college basketball, and that's where it starts with Alabama. They have a lot of guys that kind of do it all uh, for Nate Oates. They have three players averaging over five rebounds. They have three players averaging over two assists. They have four players in double figures. So everybody seems to chip out, chip in. It's a nice system they have. And as far as the rest of the SEC, Tennessee, I actually haven't watched them play yet. I've been trying to sit, see one of their games, but they've suffered a – questionable loss to Florida because Florida is down this year ever since they lost Keontae Johnson when he collapsed on the floor against Florida State hopefully he's uh, recovering but since then I mean they haven't been the same team so that really took a knock to Florida Missouri I watched them play and they blew like a 20-point lead in the first half against I think it was Mississippi State in a game that I bet them so I'm done with Missouri I think this is Alabama's conference to lose right now I do want to see Tennessee I wouldn't write them off but besides Alabama and maybe Tennessee I'm not scared of anybody in this SEC Last, last thing I'll say about the SEC is that it's the worst storm of everything. Kentucky and Florida being bad, Auburn having the ban and the sanctions. So just a terrible mix of things going on for SEC. For a team like Alabama, traditionally powerhouse football school, now turning into a power five basketball school. <laughs> they just get it done. They know how to win. Um, do not, do not give up on uh, Missouri just, like, just yet, A. Scott. Missouri's got a lot of good wins in the non-conference in Illinois and uh, Liberty, a good mid-major, Oregon as well. Don't give up on the Tigers. They're an impressive team. They play Bama in two weeks. It's going to be interesting. SEC, I don't think any of them are going to get into the Final Four, though. Do you see any of these teams making a run towards the chip? Not no, really. Not really. <laughs> okay, all right. We're on the same page there. Alabama, though, definitely a team to watch, as well as Auburn and Sharif Cooper. We highlighted him last night – or last week, excuse me, as our player of the week. Auburn, another team that could sneak in there. They have great guard play, but – Again, a lot of bubble teams in this SEC, and we'll just have to wait and see how many get into the tournament. And for this week's Player of the Week, we're actually going to stay in the SEC and still talking about Bama, one of their seniors, John Petty Jr. The man is a sharpshooter, especially from three. Man's been lighting it up recently. Shot eight for 10 against LSU, averaging only 14 points on the season. But this week in two games, he averaged 20 and a half points. Shot, I think, 66% from three in those two games. So he's looking really nice, 
And we know the NBA loves their shooters. Poppy, is there a chance this man makes it into the NBA? I think there's a real chance this man makes it to the NBA. You know, he came back this year uh, when he was a potential first, second-round draft pick. Decided to come back and stay for his senior year at Alabama with Nate Oates. He's been there since Colin Sexton was at Alabama. Um, a really good shooter, athletic guy, and, you know, a potential 3 and D player in the league. Maybe not an all-star, but somebody who can make a contribution to, you know, maybe the Knicks or something. I mean, yeah, if you can shoot near 50% from three, you're going to get a look for sure in the, in the next level. Exactly. I totally agreed. Eight of ten against LSU from three. Last three games, has shot 80% from three, 56% from three, 57% from three. Uh, that senior leadership, I think, is going to be really key heading into the tourney for a young team like Alabama that doesn't really get these many opportunities to be one of the best teams in the SEC. Uh, currently at 12-3, and three, like we mentioned before, won eight in a row, and he's the leader of the pack. And if he keeps shooting this way, not only will they be a formidable team in March Madness, but will be a senior, but will be on a G League heading into the NBA. Yeah. yeah, he'll definitely get a look in the NBA. It's just, honestly, how well does he shoot in the combine? You know what I mean? If he goes lights out in the combine, I could see his draft. He has a pretty smooth stroke, though. He has a nice shot. Like, his, his mechanics look really good on his shot. So, I think there's some opportunity for that. I was going to say, you watched the LSU game, Lucas. Anything else other than the three-point shots uh, stick out to you about him? Like I mentioned earlier, just really the guard depth. They have so many shooters, so many, so many uh, guards that can attack and get to the rim. Uh, can do whatever they want, and then they, that just creates wide-open shots for these players. Exactly, yeah. Um, we mentioned the Syracuse. That's the name of the game, drive and kick, and if John Petty can light it up 40% from three, they say the three-point shot's the great equalizer. Maybe his hot shooting could even lead them to a Final Four appearance for the Crimson Tide. But a team that is definitely has their eyes set on the Final Four are the Villanova Wildcats. They've been there before, and once again, they're the leaders of the pack in the Big East. Poppy, I know you've been talking them up on this podcast earlier you said that they are up there with Baylor and Gonzaga. They do have one loss on their record this season, but did just get a big win over Seton Hall after a long, long break due to COVID-19. Yeah, and their one loss comes to a pretty good ACC team in Virginia Tech. You know, certainly a respectable team that they lost to. I believe that game was down in the Bahamas, too, in the battle for Atlantis or something. They're still doing that tournament this year. Uh, but, yeah, I just love their depth. They got a lot of good guards, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, guys that can contri contribute in different ways, and especially Jermaine Samuels. You know, He's last year – Jermaine Samuels. He, yeah, last year he was a very productive player for them, and they thought he was going to take the leap this year. He's an extremely athletic wing player. Hasn't really done it yet, but he's starting to come on, it seems. Uh, he had a good game against Seton Hall after the COVID break. And if they can get more contributions from him, they're going to run away with this league because, you know, a big injury to UConn, one of the other ranked teams, you got Creighton losing games. Suddenly the Big East is very weak this year. Yeah, Villanova, you know, we love – they love to play their guards. My question is, do they have any big man to stop when they run into a Gonzaga, when they run into an Iowa? Um, do they have any resistance down low? Jeremiah Robinson Earl would be that guy. I'm not sure if he's – a great defender, but he's certainly a guy on the offensive end who can go at the other team's big man, maybe get him into foul trouble, and certainly a threat down low to score the basketball, Lucas. Completely agreed. Watching that game, the one big man that they struggled with was Seton Hall. I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce his name. It's nearly <laughs> impossible. Uh, so that they, <laughs> so they the squeaked out a man. win. So they squeaked out a win against Seton Hall, and that's the type of massive issues that Villanova is going to have. Uh, you know, football pass – 
caught by the big man, went right through his hands. Definitely there's not a Seton Hall football team. So you can safely <laughs> say that there are no hands teams on that. So, but Villanova is the best team in this conference by a mile. Uh, I do look to see a Creighton getting hot and sticking together. Um, and then obviously they're UConn's without their best player. So it's really looking like Nova's conference. Yeah, UConn did just lose James Bonite, uh, NBA prospect, out for the season, averaging 20 points on the year. UConn was ranked in the top 25, or they still are ranked in the top 25. Honestly, I like their team this year. I thought they could have been one team that could challenge Villanova. Creighton's another team I think that could challenge Villanova. Xavier, they're 10-2 and two as well, but I don't think they have any really key, key wins. Who, who I guess is your biggest competition for Villanova, Poppy? I think it's probably going to be Creighton, but they, they're very up and down. They don't play a lot of defense, and they rely heavily on the three-point shot. So if they're not hitting those threes, they're a team that's probably going to lose that game. Uh, coming off of two straight losses now to Butler and St. John's – or not St. John's, Butler and uh, Providence. Um, so, yeah, you know, dropping two to lesser opponents is kind of unlike them. But you mentioned Xavier, and this is an interesting team in my opinion. They're 10-2. and two. They have a non-conference win against a pretty decent Oklahoma team by 22. They beat Cincinnati, their crosstown rival in the non-conference. They lost at Creighton in a close one. They also lost to Seton Hall. But, you know, they got some big games ahead of them at Seton Hall, Villanova, and Connecticut. If anybody's going to challenge them, I think it's Xavier. Yeah, that's my one problem, though, with Xavier. Is you mentioned them against Cincinnati. I feel like they're a little down this year. In Oklahoma, they're all right. I just want them to get that Xavier win, jump off the page for me. They had a chance mm-hmm. against Creighton, had a chance against Seton Hall. Until they do that, I'm not going to really consider them as a threat. They've already had one game against Villanova postponed. Um, I mean, Paul Scruggs has been there for a minute for Xavier. This is a team that's always going to be around there. And it comes down to – Honestly, who's going to be the hotter team that night? Because in the Big East, I feel like we always see upsets. I feel like this conference is always really close. But the problem is a lot of the the teams that are in the mix, the St. John's, the Georgetown's, the Butler's, they're looking like they have down years this year, which begs the question, I guess, are we going to see not that many Power 5 teams get in there or maybe a weaker Power 5 field in the NCAA tournament, allowing more mid-majors to step up. I feel like we're going to see a lot of early upsets in the NCAA tournament because I think it is a weak bubble. I mean, Syracuse, we're talking about, they're a bubble team, and they're, what, 8-4 and four, um, with no quality wins yet, and they're already on the bubble. So I think maybe a lot of upsets early in the rounds of the NCAA tournament because of that. Uh, and your thoughts on that, just maybe a weaker bubble heading into the NCAA tournament? I think there definitely is going to be a weaker bubble. You see teams like a Creighton, a Providence, even a UConn, they're going to be dropping out. Even like a Duke, they still have some sort of chance, and they may be a double-digit seed, but they could still have the talent to overpower some of these you know, lesser mid-major teams that have a good season based on the circumstances. But that's, that doesn't necessarily translate into conference uh, or tournament wins. So I think you will see a lot of more mid-major teams into the tournament, and that will beg the question is like, did they overrate these teams, or is this just March Madness again? And I think COVID plays a big role into that with games getting canceled. You know, that's really going to screw up a lot of things for the committee when they're looking at it. How do they judge these teams? And I think you just got to go based on, you know, quality of wins and quality of losses, frankly. If you're losing to good teams and you're beating occasional good teams, not losing to who you shouldn't lose to, that's probably how you're going to get into the tournament, which in my opinion might hurt those mid-majors a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um 
just given the fact that they don't have the opportunities to beat the good teams. Yeah, that's a great point because those mid-major schools, some of them didn't even have a non-conference schedule. Some conferences mm-hmm. said cancel your non-conference schedule, wait for the conference games, and that really hinders their opportunities to go get Q1 wins, and now they're just relying on those conference tournaments, which honestly – only a month away, a month and a couple weeks away, we're winding down the season here. So bubble talk will be ramping up on this show. And now let's turn over to the week ahead. Saturday, some big games as always. Now there's no spreads on these games yet because we're going to be talking about Saturday games. This is being recorded on Thursday. So we're just going to give you our money line picks for some of these big matchups. But for our official plays, you're going to want to head over to Twitter, at Kelly Tecuz. And the boys have been hot with college basketball, 13-6 and six in college basketball picks since our last podcast, and let's, uh, let's try and make some more money for the people here. Some of the big games on Saturday, UConn versus Creighton, Ohio State versus Wisconsin, and Missouri and Tennessee all over different conferences. Starting at noon, we have that UConn at Creighton game. Poppy, no bow night, no UConn in my book. I think Creighton's going to run away with this one. I think they're going to run away with it, especially after two losses. Uh, you know, if the spread is in the the 7 to 10 or 11 range, I would definitely consider Creighton. I think they're going to run away with this game. Couldn't agree more. It's the perfect storm for Creighton. Losers of two straight. UConn's without their best player. I think even no matter what the spread of this game comes out to be come Saturday, I would definitely think about taking that because they need this win more than UConn does. And it seems like that just took the complete air out of the building when they lost their best player. Exactly. You lose your best player. You totally have to restructure your offense. I feel like it's going to take a couple games to get your legs underneath you again. Perfect storm. I really like the Jays in this one. Over to the Big Ten on Saturday, 4 o'clock. Once again, look who's on the rundown. Ohio State, another week, another top 25 game. Just speaks to the depth of the Big Ten and speaks to how front-loaded Ohio State's Big Ten schedule is, I guess. But they're going to be on the road in this one against Wisconsin. I've been saying it. The Buckeyes are frauds. I like this Wisconsin team. I like their guards. Uh, Very experienced. I'm taking the Badgers. Two teams that I religiously bet against against them are in it, playing each other. (laughs) Uh, I hate Ohio State. I hate Wisconsin. Uh, One thing I will say is that, you know, Big Ten, we say this always, Wisconsin, a great defensive team, and Ohio State lives and dies by the three. I would think about looking at the under in this game when that line comes out because I think it could be a defensive battle. Uh, and then I might – and I think I will go with Ohio State here. I think they do got – either the threes are going to fall or they're not going to fall. So Ohio State and the under uh, for this game. Yeah, if I had a free play on this game, I'm not even betting on this game. I have <laughs> zero read on both of these teams. I don't, I don't know what Ohio State is. I don't know what Wisconsin is. They both make no sense to me. And for not that reason, <laughs> I would lean with the home team, I guess. So I'll take Wisconsin. Yeah, that's kind of my, my theory on that is I'll, I'll lean with the home team. I feel like Wisconsin got a little more experience and I like their guards more than Ohio State. And we always talk about that guard play. Moving to the SEC, top 25 matchup, two teams that have kind of been struggling a little bit. Um, Missouri, number 19 in the country against number six, Tennessee, looking to bounce back after the thrashing that they got from Florida. This is an 830 game in Tennessee. Lucas, your thoughts? I actually want Poppy to go first because he did mention that Missouri's good and I want him to make the case for Missouri. <laughs> I, need, I want to know why Missouri. Yeah, so I like Missouri a little bit. I just think, you know, they, they beat Illinois at home. This is a Tennessee team coming off of a huge loss. They got a lot of new pieces in the program with their best player being a transfer from Oregon and Victor Bailey. I think the line's going to be pretty close here, but I still expect Tennessee to be 
favored in this one. And for that reason, I like Missouri on the road. I just think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. But Tennessee, uh, that's a very, you know, alarming loss at Florida, a Florida team who hasn't been very good this year. And you lose by 26. I believe I saw it was the third uh, highest losing margin for a top 10 team ever in college basketball history. So, yeah. (laughs) Sold. I will be rolling with Pop on this one, Missouri. He just made the case. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think Tennessee bounces back at home. I'm riding with all the, all the home teams in this one, so obviously one will bite me in the ass. But uh, we'll see on Saturday. Follow us at Kelly Tacuse on Twitter. We'll have some official picks throughout the week. Uh, thirteen and six, thirteen and six since Saturday. Soon enough, you guys will start listening to us. But we do advise you fade our NFL picks. NFL has been atrocious. Uh, we're gonna make some NFL picks because we're winding down the season. Some huge games on Kelly Tacuse. We cover all the sports, so we got to head over to the NFL for some playoff picks, some conference championship picks, the Buccaneers versus the Packers. We did say fade our picks in the NFL, and here we all have the same pick. So this could be the biggest fade of all time. We all like the over 51-and-a-half. Lucas, any reason you're taking the over in Bucks versus Packers? You know Tampa's going to drop 30 no matter how you see it. Can Aaron Rodgers keep up? I would sprinkle a little maybe Bucks line in this game just because I think Brady's ready, really here. Brady's ready. I don't think the cold matters much in this game. It's going to be in the afternoon, so the sun's going to be out. Uh, I think points are going to be a bundle in this game. I think maybe both teams get into the 30s. So by my calculation, that's over 51 and a half. <laughs> he's, he, he's crunched the numbers. Uh, Poppy is the official weatherman of Kelly Q's. Have you checked the weather for this one? There is a chance of snow at kickoff, uh, so we could have ourselves a potential snow game. But that being said, we got Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, two of the best cold-weather quarterbacks in NFL history. The snow and the cold don't matter to those two guys. And, you know, the de- the defenses for both these teams have been pretty solid this year. But I think when it comes down to it, they're both offensive-minded teams. They want to go out and get into a shootout. So that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I hate betting on the NFL, especially lately. I can't get a single pick right, but I do like the over in this game. I think it's going to be a close game. It's Brady, Rodgers. It's what the people want. I mean, it's going to be a high-scoring game. These are two explosive offenses. Aaron Rodgers obviously was stifled the first time that he played against Tampa Bay, had his worst game probably of his career. I don't see that happening again. He's going to figure it out, look at the tape. And that means the Packers are going to put up 30, and it's going to be a close game, so the Bucs are going to be there as well. I think Packers win this one by a field goal, but – Either way, I think the over is the safer play. And then I'm staying away from this Bills-Chiefs game just because I don't know who's going to be quarterbacking for the Chiefs. But, Lucas, you're taking the Bills plus three. I have to roll Bills Mafia here. First game, Indianapolis didn't look great. Second game, Baltimore didn't look great. Their defense did. The offense did not look amazing. They have not put it all together yet. They have, the, they have not put it all together yet. Kansas City defense, hot for sure but I don't think they can keep up with a good offense like the Bills. I think Josh Allen maybe throws it 50 times this game because they don't have a run game. Um, the points plus three, you know, Mahomes up in the air, but it's, it's always been whether or not KC is just going to coast or not, even with Mahomes. They haven't covered in eight straight games, nine straight games. I don't think they can do it again, and I, and I love the Bills here. Yeah, Kansas City has played a lot of close games. Bills Mafia, are they getting to the Super Bowl, Lucas? Are you are you maybe sprinkling a little money line on there? I mean, Bills Mafia, I mean, get the tables. No tables safe if they win. <laughs> Pop, you're taking a little player prop in this one. Josh Allen uh, used to throw in the ball, but I guess you're taking the rush yards. 
Yeah, Josh Allen over in rush yards on FanDuel right now. It's sitting at 33 and a half. And I, that is a pretty high number. I was expecting something lower. But that being said, I just think this is going to be a game where Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for the Bills, is going to have to pull out all the stops. So you're going to have to score points if you want to beat the Chiefs. Josh Allen, you know, this year he hasn't really utilized his legs yet. And he really can. You know, we saw in the Denver game he had like a 27, 30-yard touchdown run in that range. He's a guy who's sneaky quick and is not afraid to put his head down and run you over to at the end of his runs. So I really like the over. He's going to do all that he can to win this game for Buffalo. I think there's no way in hell that Patrick Mahomes isn't playing. Um, <laughs> but that being said, the, you know, the foot issue, in my opinion, is maybe a bigger story for Mahomes. I don't, he's not sitting out because of concussion. The NFL doesn't care about concussions. We know this. Um, but Patrick Mahomes, the foot issue is a bigger problem. Uh, I kind of lean Bills plus three because of that. If he's not as mobile, that's an issue if they can rush the passer and keep him in the pocket. Yeah, I kind of like the Bills that he can get up to four and a half. I think it's going to be a close game, so maybe buy a couple points. Um, that would be my only advice. With that said, I'm three and five in my NFL picks, so fade what I have to say. But those <laughs> games are on Sunday, and winners will be going to the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll have some player props for you in a couple weeks for the Super Bowl, a bunch of Super Bowl picks in a few weeks, so definitely want to stay tuned to that. That about does it on Kelly to Q's. Before we go, we got our one last thing. We're going to turn to the NBA because Kelly to Q's, Syracuse, and the Cal Bears are getting represented in the NBA well this year with Jalen Brown and Jeremy Grant. These two players who've kind of been role players on their teams, Jalen Brown obviously was a higher draft pick, had more ceiling, I would say, but both of them are now borderline all-stars, averaging over 25 points a game. I don't see how these guys are in the all-star game. Lucas, Jalen Brown about the only bright spot for Cal basketball that I can think of right now. I'll never forgive him and Ivan Rab for losing in the first round to Hawaii when they were freshmen. I will never forgive them. That's all I have to say on that. However, him as a Celtic has been fantastic. I think he's easily an all-star this year, along with Jason Tatum. When they're on the floor together, they can easily get 30 each. Jalen Brown's field goal percentage has been out of his mind, 52%. Uh, being able to be a slasher, hit the three, do it all. Best defender, will guard their best player constantly. And he really bullied Ben Simmons when they faced off last night. So I love Jalen Brown. Obviously, Jeremy Grant has been great too. Probably the leader for most improved player. But Jalen Brown, worth the money too. He got a big contract and he's stepping up for it right now. Yeah, do you think Jalen Brown can overtake Jason Tatum as the go-to guy? Because Celtics fans have been oozing about Jason Tatum for years and Jalen Brown might even be the better player right now. That's a good debate. Uh, I think those are, the, those are two great cornerstones for any franchise. So if you keep those two together for the next six years, good things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Poppy, on the Syracuse side, Jeremy Grant, Nuggets. He was my man. I'm, I'm hurt we didn't pay him. Uh, we're suffering on the defensive end because of it. But the Pistons, they finally have a star they can build around, it looks like. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Jeremy Grant has been great this year for the Pistons, a 3-11 and team. Unfortunately for Jeremy, not a whole lot of winning going on uh, given his efforts, but averaging 25 a game. And, you know, it, it begs the question, not only did the Nuggets, you know, I'm not going to say they gave up on him because he's a free agent. They should have re-signed him. But how about the Philadelphia 76ers giving up on him and trading him away to the Oklahoma City Thunder when he was pretty promising as a second-round pick? That was the true, you know, uh, trust the process teams in Philadelphia when Joel Embiid was hurt. He came there as the 39th overall pick in the second round, and he was pretty quality uh, in his first few seasons. I mean, he he didn't have a jump shot, but 
you know, he was young. He came out at 20 years old and uh, you had to think that he was maybe going to be able to improve that, but instead they chose to give up on him. And now that's a piece like I'd way rather have Jeremy Grant than Tobias Harris. Maybe that's just me, but I think he's certainly a better defender. And I think in the right situation, he is a better offensive player too. Yeah, the three-point is what shocked me about Jeremy Grant's career because at Syracuse, he really showed very no chance of hitting a three ever, just kind of an athletic freak. And the three-point percentage near 40% this year really can score for anywhere on the, on the court. The Sixers, I mean, if they kept Jeremy Grant, I don't think he would have uh, maybe developed the same way. I think the Sixers are just a bad franchise, to be honest with you. But, Lucas, you, you picked the Sixers to make the finals this year. Are you still back and buy that, even with all these trades with the Nets? I think now the team can relax. I think this is a great time for them right now. Ben Simmons doesn't have to worry about where he's going. Seth Curry was out for two weeks with COVID. He's back. Danny Green, leadership. Danny Tyrese Maxey nice. yeah. Maxi coming out of nowhere and being a great player for them. Um, Jeremy Grant, if I got 25 shots a game in Detroit, I'd be pretty good too. That's why he went there. He got his bag, and now he can average 25 on a 3-11 and eight, 11 team. I'm down. Final thing before we head out, um, all-stars for both these guys, no doubt. Yes. And I think it might be close for Jeremy Grant. It might be kind of close. I think you're right. I think I think his numbers back it up, but we've seen it with Bradley Beal. He got I mean, does Kyrie, KD, and Harden all make it from Brooklyn? I mean, right? That's three players from one team. Right. That's that's a that's a good point. And we saw Bradley Beal, he kinda got shafted in the all-star game because the Wizards weren't winning. And he was what, putting up twenty-eight last year? So we'll see what the All-Star game brings. Hopefully Jeremy can earn his first bid to that All-Star game. But that about does it for us on Kelly Takeuse up in the rafters. Thanks for joining us for another week of some college basketball talk. Hopefully Syracuse can get a big dub against Virginia Tech this week. Until next time, it's been a great time chilling with you. Anthony Scott, Lucas Silverman, Poppy Carey. We'll be back. New episodes every Friday. And check us out on Twitter at Kelly Takeuse. And make sure you stop over at thechallenge-sports.com. Have a good one. Peace.